Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. We really, really need to get him off the streets and in custody before he hurts someone else. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. And I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. The governor of Colorado has reduced the sentence for a truck driver convicted of manslaughter following a crash that killed four people in 2019. And the hunt for a man charged in connection with his wife's death in Texas comes to an end in Florida. Am I sorry that he no longer walks on this earth? No. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Reed, this first story begins with a tragic crash on Interstate 70 in Colorado in April of 2019. Remind us what happened. Yeah, this was on April 25th, 2019, and traffic was stopped on the interstate near Lakewood, Colorado. And essentially what happened is a semi-truck didn't stop in time and slammed into the traffic. And and you're right, it was incredibly tragic. Four people died from the impact. Doyle Harrison, William Bailey, Miguel Lamasariano, and Stanley Politano. And it's believed they died from injuries as a result of the impact, not from from fire that actually erupted afterward. So following this crash, what happens from there as investigators try to figure out what led up to the crash? Well, the driver of the truck, a 23-year-old man named Rogel Aguilera Medeiros, survived the crash and was taken into custody And he would actually end up facing a total of 41 charges, including four counts of vehicular manslaughter, which were the most serious of the charges. And Reed, do we learn when this case eventually goes to trial what exactly happened that day, how the truck lost control? Yeah, we learned quite a bit. That's, that's, of course, where things get really complicated. There ended up being essentially two versions of what happened presented at trial. From the start, Aguilera Medeiros insisted that it was an accident, that there was a mechanical failure. And actually, that's something that both sides agreed on to some extent. Neither the prosecution nor the defense disputed that at some point the brakes on the truck went out. The disagreement was on how or why that happened. The defense argued that the brakes were bad on the trailer before Aguilera Medeiros left Texas days earlier and that essentially he shouldn't be blamed for what was improper maintenance of the truck. The prosecution argued that Either he didn't catch a problem that they say he should have caught or his driving that day is actually what could have caused the brakes to go out. Prosecutors also focused on his actions after he would have known the brakes were out and making the case that he knowingly passed up a runaway truck ramp on the highway, that that he thought he could make it down the hill and, and chose not to go onto that runaway truck ramp. But the defense on the other side argued that he didn't purposely avoid the ramp, but that that he could have missed it You know, while he was 
panicked and trying to figure out what was going on. And so in the end, the jury was left to decide whether the crash was the result of bad choices made by the driver or something that the driver had no control over. So, Reed, what does the jury ultimately decide in this case? The jury found him guilty of 27 counts, and that included the four homicide charges, those manslaughter charges, as well as first-degree assault, first-degree attempt to commit assault, vehicular assault, reckless driving, and careless driving. And he ended up receiving a sentence of 110 years in prison, essentially because a lot of these charges in Colorado had mandatory minimum sentences that needed to be served consecutively. And the judge essentially explained that his hands were tied. Here's some of what he had to say at that sentencing hearing. The legislature has told me through the laws of this state what I have to do at a minimum. The jury heard the evidence and I respect the findings of the jury. But the combination of those findings and what the legislature has told me leaves me no discretion on a minimum sentence. So, Reed, that brings us to the most recent update. What happens with this case after Aguilera Medeiros received that steep sentence? Well, there was a public uproar about the sentence and about Colorado's mandatory minimum laws in general. There were online petitions that received millions of signatures, and there were even protests around the state of Colorado. The cries at the Capitol are about a tragedy, one that already took four lives. These supporters hope it doesn't take another. It's not an accident. This is a catastrophe. This is something that can happen to anybody. People here call Rogel Aguilera Medero's sentence of 110 years unjust and unfair for someone who never even received a traffic ticket. A veces pienso que esto es un ángel que Dios nos mandó porque este joven es increíble, 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 increíble. It's a wonderful kid. Wonderful kid, he's in jail and... The people here feel that pain, but no one understands a mother's heartbreak. Osalida Mederos can't bear to live without her son. She's relying on the support from those around her. At the end of last year in late December, the district attorney who prosecuted this case made a request for a judge to actually reconsider the sentence, which is highly unusual for a district attorney to make that request. And there was a hearing that was set for January 13th. But ahead of that hearing, Colorado Governor Jared Polis actually stepped in and reduced the sentence down to 10 years. Colorado's governor shortening the prison sentence of a truck driver who was convicted in a deadly crash that killed four people in 2019. In response to that, the district attorney released a statement saying that her team was disappointed in the governor's decision. She'd been recommending a sentence of 20 to 30 years. And she also said that the surviving victims and the families of the victims who died wanted the trial judge to determine the appropriate sentence. We also heard from Aguilera Medeiros' attorney who said that they're grateful for the governor's consideration and he reiterated a belief that the 110-year sentence was unjust and he said that they're excited by the possibility for Rohel to be reunited with his family instead of spending what surely would have been his entire life behind bars. 30-year-old Savannah Pascal was shot and killed in October of 2020. 
Her estranged husband was quickly arrested and charged with first-degree murder. But the story did not end there. Will, take us through what happened in 2020 in Lamarck, Texas. Yeah, so first of all, just to give you an idea of where Lamarck is, it's less than an hour southeast of Houston, Texas, down on the coast. And this happened uh, back on October 21st, 2020. The couple, Savannah and Trent Pascal, had been married for eight years, but according to her family, there had been problems in the marriage. And Savannah was shot when she was entering a relative's home. She was essentially ambushed, Reed, and she died at a hospital shortly after the shooting. Police say that her husband, Trent, who was eventually charged with her murder, took off in a truck, and then he was later taken into custody after a shootout with police. I say a shootout, but they basically surrounded him in a Walmart parking lot. Uh, he was parked in a, in a different vehicle with a friend. He got out of the vehicle, pulled a gun out, and they shot him. Uh, he was injured. He went to the hospital, but he recovered, and he was charged with first-degree murder and uh, additional charges as well. But Trent Pascal was released on bond. And over a period of months after his release, he was actually arrested several other times, according to police. And then he would bond out as well on each of those occasions. So, you know, as far as Savannah Pascal's family was concerned, it became this sort of bizarre series of events where this, this man charged with their daughter's murder uh, was being released from, from prison you know, after being arrested for, for other unrelated crimes. Savannah Pascal's father told KHOU-TV in Houston he's been in custody three separate times in the first six months after our daughter was killed. The next chapter in this story, if you will, is six months after her murder. Police say that Trent Pascal basically cut off, ditched his GPS monitoring device, left it at his mother's house, stole an SUV at knife point at a car dealership. Uh, this was last April, so April of 2021. And he's been missing ever since. There has been a you know a nationwide manhunt, U.S. Marshals, looking for this man who they said was armed and dangerous and should be taken very, very seriously. This is Savannah Pascal's father, Michael Kinchin, talking at a news conference about the case. We're running a year, year and a half, maybe even two years before he comes up to trial. And they gave him his fair chance, put a monitor on him and said, behave yourself, be a good boy. And he has failed to do that. Now he is not wearing that monitor and he's on the lamb. He's running. We don't know where he is. So we are appealing to the public, please keep your eyes open. Be aware of your surroundings, and if you see or hear anything, let the marshal's office know. Let the local police departments know. We need him off the streets. We worry for our safety. My wife and I are raising our two grandchildren now. We worry for their safety, and we worry for the safety of the public. So please, help us find him. So, Will, no one had seen Trent Pascal since last year, since about six months after Savannah Pascal was shot and killed. What happened then just recently at an RV park in Florida? Right. Well, no one had seen him. And as I mentioned, U.S. Marshals were hunting for this man, but they got a tip and they had made numerous you know, requests to, th to the public uh, asking for help or any information if it, someone had spotted him or thought they spotted him. And they got a tip about... 
someone at an RV park in Marion County, Florida. This was just north of Orlando. And the tip was that Trent Pascal was actually sleeping in a stolen van in this RV park. Police approached the van. They asked whoever was inside to exit, and then they heard a gunshot. Trent Pascal was found naked on the floor with a gun. And so the final chapter of this story for Trent Pascal was that he was found dead after 263 days since Savannah Pascal was, was shot and killed. This is Shirley Kinchin speaking shortly after Trent Pascal was found in that RV park. He had been on the run for 263 days. We both were always looking over our shoulder. Did I want to look him in the eye and for him to face me again with what he had done? Yes. Savannah Pascal's parents have both been pretty vocal advocating for stricter bonds. Tell us about what they've been saying. Right, and I mentioned he'd been released on bond several times since Savannah Pascal was shot and killed. And her parents are most certainly advocating for stricter bond and, and out speaking out about this. Uh, this is Shirley Kinchin. I would like for the judges to have more compassion and more leeway to look at criminal records of these people before they're allowed to wear an ankle monitor or to be released on bond. And just another note on this, the Harris County, Florida District Attorney put out a report that in 2020, more than 18,000 defendants were accused of new crimes while out on bond. So it is certainly an issue that, uh, you know, in this case, her parents feel needs to be looked at closely. We should note that the parents are now raising the two children, Savannah and Trent's two young children, and going through the process of adopting them. Once again, here's Michael Kinchin. Savannah was an amazing, amazing person. She was a wonderful mother. They lost their mother. They lost their father. They lost their home. I kiss them and tell them, you know, I love you. Have a great day. I'll see you this afternoon when I pick you up. And then I cry on the way out of there because I know that's the last thing their mother said to them. I'll see you this afternoon. And they never saw her again. And Reed, this certainly puts a spotlight on domestic violence. And we want to remind our listeners that anyone can reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or text START, that's S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. All right. Thanks, Will. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening right now. And if you're looking for more podcasts, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows, including our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, along with Will Johnson, I'm Reed Redmond. 